Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Connor Morissette and virtually by the one and only Shotgun Spratling. Ryan couldn't make the podcast today, but that's okay. We've got competitive depth and we're going to be here previewing USC's contest against Arizona this Saturday night in the Coliseum. As always, if you guys have any comments or questions that you want to put on the screen, you can put them on Facebook or YouTube. We can get them on the screen. We can answer them at the end. We've got Shotgun here, which means if you've got non-football questions, basketball, baseball questions, it's a good day to ask them. But anyways, guys, I want to start by talking about USC's Big Ten schedule. It's kind of that big piece of news that came out today after Washington and Oregon joined the conference. Things have been rearranged a little bit, which means USC's schedule looks a little different. It's definitely a gauntlet, but it's interesting to see now the teams at USC will be playing at home and on the road. So I want to hear your guys' takes. I can start. Shotgun, good to have you, by the way. I, I like that they're going to Michigan instead of Penn State. That, for me, is a more... Uh, desirable place to go. So right off the the jump there, that's what sticks out to me. But overall, I mean, what a gauntlet. We were talking about it off the air. You don't know who the quarterback is next year, and that schedule, I think, is tougher than this year, and this year's is pretty hard. So that's uh, immediately what jumps out to me. That is a tough, tough schedule, and we can go through it a little bit more here, Jack. I don't know if you want me to give the opponents or you, but uh, it's, it's not looking uh, very easy moving over to Big Ten territory, and they start the year with LSU as well. So going to be tough, but uh, I'm excited for the ride. Yeah, USC is going to be at home. They, they get Penn State coming at home instead of uh, you know having Michigan at home and being on the road in Happy Valley. But Shotgun, what, what's your take? I mean, the first thing is I'm disappointed because I wanted them to play at Penn State because that's one of the closest ones to me. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, selfishly, I'm a little upset there. But somehow they got the M schedule. You know, they go to Michigan, to Minnesota, to Maryland, just playing M teams for some reason. I don't know what's up with that. Uh, maybe they'll be facing off against them with their own double M, Miller Moss. So it's going to be, a, you know, an M battle uh, for out, throughout the season for USC. But like like Connor said, it's going to be a rough schedule for USC because not only do you have those three teams, which Minnesota could be pretty good. Maryland has been pretty consistent, uh, you know, in the – not the top end, but just the step below in the Big Ten the last couple of years. You know Michigan is going to be really good. And then you're going to have Penn State at home for USC plus the LSU game plus the Notre Dame game. It is going to be a rough schedule for USC, especially when you're breaking in a new quarterback uh, with Caleb Williams expected to move on. So, you know, that, that's going to make, to me, that makes opportunities like this weekend even more important. Go 
blow out Arizona, get Miller Moss, get maybe Malachi Nelson some more reps so that they will be more prepared for next season when Caleb Williams is not there. Yeah, so the home slate next season is Nebraska, Penn State, Rutgers, Wisconsin. Shotgun also mentioned Notre Dame out of conference will be coming into the Coliseum. Then there's one more non-conference game. You would assume it's going to be a home game for USC with their difficult schedule that they do have. And then you've got that neutral site game to start the year against LSU in Vegas. And the road opponents in the Big Ten are Maryland, Michigan, Minnesota, Washington, and UCLA. So two West Coast trips for the Trojans, but also you're going far for the Minnesota trip. You're going far for the Maryland trip, but USC is, you know, they're prepared to go places like Notre Dame so it's not like they are completely averse to traveling it's not like they don't have experience but you're getting to see some of that more Midwest and East Coast travel for USC as well as those super tough games against you're gonna have Drew Aller as a junior who some think could be you know the number one pick in the draft after Caleb Williams this year you might have JJ McCarthy back for for Michigan you're gonna have a sophomore Dante Moore it's going to be a really brutal year for the Trojans the good news for them is there is that 12 team playoff starting next year so maybe they can afford to have a loss or two unlike what's gone on in the 14 playoffs where a two-loss team has never made the playoffs. So it'll be interesting to see how USC handles the schedule. But as Shotgun mentioned, the Trojans are playing Arizona, a team that they probably should blow out. But you could say that about the Trojans' last two opponents in Colorado and Arizona State, two games that it looked like USC might have the edge. They were up big at different times in both, but in the end, it ended up being a closer game than I think many USC fans would have wanted. What's your guys' feeling going into Saturday against Arizona? Going into Saturday, I agree with what Shotgun said. Get right. It's the last, I don't want to call it an easy game, but it's the last game when we all went through the schedule at the beginning of the season. The first six on the easier side, the last six, one easy one, but some really tougher games down the stretch. So can you go out and fix sort of the issues that you've had? Can you finish strong? Colorado, that game, they didn't finish particularly strong, especially on defense and running the ball on the offensive side of the ball. Can you finish strong at home against Arizona and really catch people's attention there? Running the ball, that's got to take a big step forward. Lincoln Riley, the whole unit was not happy. The offensive line, the running backs weren't happy this week with how that finished. Can you run the ball better? So I just think it's a get-right game. Can you prove to fans that maybe after the Stanford game, what you saw there, people believed after that Stanford game that this could be a really magical season. The last couple of weeks, although you won, maybe some people were like, okay, I don't know how good we are. Maybe probably not quite as good as we showed in the Stanford game, but still good enough to do something can you get fans back on board and get people believing that the college football playoff is real and the team can get there yeah and don't forget this team can still continue to progress i think fans forget that and say oh this is the team it's exactly the same as last year i think you're going to see guys like mason cobb get better as the season goes along i think even guys like barry alexander who's shown some real big flashes from didn't do much against colorado i think he's a guy that will continue to get better as the season goes along christian roland wallace these guys they brought in to be veteran starters to be guys for them hopefully you see some improvement from guys like keon bars jack sullivan as well and I think the defense can continue to get progress as they move forward, but it's got to start this week. You know, after back-to-back weeks on the road where you've struggled with the defense of not being able to finish off games, um, now's the time to be able to put it together and start making some of those strides and start showing that progression, this poten- the potential this defense has in particular. And then on the offensive side, like, like Hunter said, you want to get that run game, get back going. Um, it seemed like you know, Colorado was all over their runs, whether there were there were some 
you know, giving away some tails, whether it be the alignments or different things. That's something that needs to be self-scouted by USC during the week. And they need to be out, able to go out there and run the ball better. And even when a team knows what you're running, you should be able to still run it down their throat if you are a, a dominant team. So can they go and show that they can do that this week against a solid Arizona defense? That's nothing special, though. Um, and on the other side, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be from Arizona, but it should be a good matchup for those cornerbacks. Um, you know, Damani Jackson left the game early last week. We'll see if he's available this week. Jacoby Covington got back in the mix, kind of back in the rotation. Sierra Wright had kind of fallen out. Who's going to play at cornerback opposite of Christian Roland Wallace, who has taken over a spot, played 107 total snaps last week, which is the second most I've had since I've been charting for nine seasons now. Um, so he was impressive last week and you know, gave up a couple passes, had his first interception. Who's going to play opposite of him and can he continue to develop as well? You want to see that secondary get better. It was not very good last week with the tackling issues and then when they were in man coverage. Bryson Shaw getting beat a couple times in situations, a couple of situations where he probably shouldn't be put in if you're the defense coordinator, where he's in man coverage with no help over the top, or you know where you just are straight man man on guys where there's no help over the top when you got a big lead. You know, play a little bit softer, give up the easy stuff, come up and make tackles, and you got to make those tackles though. So if USC jumps up big again, we'll see if there's some adjustment to the defensive uh, play calling and whatnot there. But you know, can you put those guys in position? I think it's a an opportunity for them to bounce back against a really tough wide receiver group with Jacob Cowing, with Tetraroa McMillan. I mean, those two guys are, are, are dudes. And then Montana Lamonius Craig transfers from Colorado, a guy I really liked coming out of Inglewood, went and made a name for himself at, at Colorado when they didn't have a passing attack last year. Um, and now he's there at Arizona, so they kind of replaced Dorian Singer with him. And you got the three Arizona guys. Can they make an impact in there, you know, facing against the, their former team? And each of them, you saw Christian Olawas last week kind of a little bit of a breakout game for him, but the other two guys have been kind of waiting on it to happen, waiting on it to happen. Can this be, week be the week? Yeah, I thought it was interesting you mentioned Christian Roll Wallace, obviously a former Wildcat. I'm not sure, you know, whether USC still updates the depth chart, but he's clearly that that one starter. Lincoln Riley mentioned it in the in his press conference today that he feels like that's been the one guy that's been at every practice, I mean, their most consistent player at corner, and he's still listed as a true backup on the depth chart, even though, you know, it's clear he's, you know, played a lot more the last couple of weeks. It feels like he's earned a starting job, but the depth chart doesn't show it. So we'll see who's out there on Saturday. But watching that Arizona and Washington game, they dropped a lot of players in coverage against a very explosive. Washington offense, as Caleb Williams called it, where Michael Panix and Caleb Williams were kind of the dueling people for Heisman, and Caleb puts up six touchdowns. Michael Penix didn't actually have a touchdown at all, not on the air, not on the ground. It was a lot of the rushing attack and the short passing game for Washington because Arizona played everyone back, sometimes with seven DBs on the field, sometimes dropping eight people into coverage. They just didn't want to allow a big play. They wanted to keep Washington patient and ended up working. Washington still scored. They still won the game, but only by seven points, and they were held to their lowest point total of the season. What did you guys see from Arizona's defensive effort, and how do you feel like it'll affect USC? Yeah, I expect him to have a similar game plan, although I think it's really interesting. Jed Fish, he talked a lot about how Arizona defended Washington, and maybe they will do the same exact thing, but I just thought it was interesting. He talked so much about that game plan. I imagine it won't be exactly the same. So will they drop back as many players? I, I mean, I think against a USC team that... Their offense might even be better than Washington's. That may be a good idea. Just the fact he was so vocal and he said, you know, we really wanted to have long drives on offense. And his press 
conferences this week were really interesting. He kind of broke down exactly what they did defensively against Washington, and I find that hard to believe that he would just tell that to, to USC in a game where uh, Arizona is playing a similar team with a really good offense. So I, I think they'll throw some wrinkles at USC, and it'll be a little bit different. In terms of flipping the ball, or flipping the field, excuse me, with, if Noah Fafita is a quarterback, USC has a real opportunity this week to get off to a hot start. Arizona traditionally has not started very well in the first quarter. I think they only have one first quarter touchdown this year, and it came against Northern Arizona. So between an inexperienced quarterback and a team that doesn't start really well, USC has a chance to put their pedal to the floor right away. And then we can see how how they'll finish with a big lead. Last week it wasn't very good. Could it be different this week? I think USC should get off to a good start based on what Arizona's done, and I expect that to happen. So I think it'll be a kind of similar game plan. I don't exactly know what to expect from Arizona, though, defensively. Who knows how to defend USC, honestly? But uh, I think on the flip side, the defense for USC really could get off to a good start with an inexperienced quarterback and a team that doesn't play that well to begin games. And one of the things that they did was force Washington to take longer drives. Um, and, you know, Washington's touchdown drives in this game, the first one was a 12-play 95-yard drive uh, that went almost seven minutes. So, you know, Washington was self- – I mean, Michael Penix was selfless for them. You know, he didn't have the touchdowns, but he threw for 360-something yards. And he used 30 or 40, basically the same as Caleb Williams was. Caleb Williams had a little bit, you know, 40, 50 more yards than he did against uh, Colorado. Um, but he had the touchdowns versus the running game having the touchdowns for Washington. But their drive links on those touchdown drives they have, winning 31 to, to 24, their touchdown drives, 659, 313, 558, 334, 439 on the last one for field goal. So they're forced, Washington, to take their time and take all the underneath stuff and, you know, let them try to make mistakes along the way. Will Caleb Williams be selfless in the same regard of, hey, let me just get it down or let me run the ball? There were times last game where it seemed like USC could have run the ball more. There were light boxes. It's an easy check for Caleb Williams. He has the ability to do that, um, but that didn't necessarily happen in the second half. Now, whether it was the call play coming in or whether it was something Caleb Williams was allowed to do, I, we can't say. But there were opportunities to run against a lighter box that USC did not take advantage of in that Colorado game. So let's see if they do this this time. With If Arizona gives a similar defense, I'm sure it won't be the same game plan, but there will be some definitely be some similarities because it's the same thing. Hey, don't get beat over the top. Keep us in the game. Let our offense go to work. And, you know, they'll try to, to win it that way. Uh, But, you know, can USC show the patience and the selflessness? And they've done it all season with Caleb Williams spreading the ball around to so many different receivers, with Austin Jones taking a backseat to Marshawn Lloyd, um, you know, those type of things. Can they continue to do that? And, you know, can they do it and put up points against Arizona? And then can the defense then step up? That'll be the the question there. Um, If Noah Fafita is the quarterback versus Jaden Delora, I mean, the the question becomes, if Jaden Delora does come back, can he run? Because that's what killed USC last year against Arizona was him getting outside the pocket, picking up big third down conversions. You know, and Noah Fafita can run a little bit, but not is not as quite the athlete that that Jane Delore is. So you know, that's something to keep an eye on. You know, can they? Uh, fulfill their rush lanes, which is something they didn't do last week against Shadir Sanders, something that played them early in the season against San Jose State. You know, they got those sacks, a, a couple sacks against Shadir Sanders, but how many times did he get out of the pocket and was able to run and pick up uh, plays, whether it be on just read options because they ran him a little bit more last week or on some scrambles and whatnot. So that's something that, that USC has to clean up as well. You know, they have a great pass rush, but the pass rush needs to be disciplined as well. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting. At the end of Keaton Slovis' career here at USC, it felt like defenses were kind of figuring out that offense. They would just drop eight guys in coverage, seven guys in coverage. They'd force Slovis to be patient, and then he'd you know, maybe force the envelope a little bit, throw an interception, and USC would drop some of those games. I think Caleb Williams is better at handling that, and Caleb Williams is better at handling most things at quarterback than any other quarterback in the country. But you know, he was talking about the mindset they need to have this week of being patient, but when you see a shot open up, you've got to be able to hit it. And I thought they did a good job of that against Colorado. It seemed like the Buffalo Buffalo's early in the game thought about dropping some guys into coverage on that first Taj Washington touchdown. Uh, Caleb only had three people coming at him and he just waited and waited and waited. And even I was, you know, sitting at home watching him like Caleb should really be running the ball here. He's got, you know, 10 yards in front of him. He should just run. And then boom, you know, in a snap, it's a 70 yard touchdown because he gets it to Taj Taj Washington, Taj Washington, an athlete enough to be able to find the open grass and get to the end zone. So USC clearly is well equipped to handle people dropping into coverage, but it will take a full game of patience if Arizona is able to and and wants to stick with that strategy. I also think this this USC team has, you know, something the other couple USC teams a couple years ago didn't exactly have, which I think is a better offensive line, a better running game um, and with more threat of what Caleb Williams can do and in the passing game game and and his own running game, I think that USC on the ground could do more to Arizona this week. And it was kind of one of those conversation topics today during Lincoln Riley Zoom, a conversation all week is should USC be running the ball more? Um, Lincoln said, you know, he felt like they didn't have enough possessions. So you can't just look at how many times they did run the ball in the second half. But I think just watching the game and seeing the opportunities that that presented themselves in Boulder, that even with Colorado stopping the run pretty well, USC could have stayed more patient with their running game. I don't know if you guys would agree with that. I just think the running game overall is interesting. And in the second half, only rushing for 22 yards. So I don't know, like, was it a patience thing or was it just they couldn't execute? I think the offensive line is really pissed off after last week. Justin Dieter said we got physically beat this game against a Colorado team that wasn't really that revered defensively. So I think we're going to come out with a point to prove. And I wouldn't be surprised if Lincoln Riley made it a point to run the ball a little more. I expect Austin Jones to have a bigger role, too. I think Marshawn Lloyd, he certainly deserves a start. He's been incredible. Number two in the country in yards per carry. He's been everything that you could ever want. But I think you want to see a little bit more of a balanced attack. I think Lloyd got kind of tired in the second half of that game, and that played into some of the mistakes as well. So look for more of the two running backs to to go against Arizona. I think that's going to be a big part of this game. Yeah, I mean, it's not that they how many snaps they had and how many that they ran the ball. It's that the fact that the percentage of run, I mean, they had, I think it's seven total carries in the second half on called runs. I believe one of those was Caleb Williams. So six to the running back out of 29 real plays. You know, they had three kneel downs at the end. But so you're basically getting a quarter of your snaps are runs that you're given. So if you're up 34-7, 34-14 at halftime, why is only is only 25% of your your game plan to run the ball in the second half? That's the issue. Not oh, well we had we only we didn't have as many drives. We didn't run as many plays. You still ran 29 plays and you only ran seven of them for runs and six of them to the to the running back. So why are you not getting closer to a 50-50 split or even, you know, let's rely on the run game. Now, I don't think this was a game to do it because they just weren't running the ball well. And I think it's part of the reason why Lincoln Riley was hesitant to uh, call the run more because they were struggling to block it up. And, he, you know, he mentioned it throughout this week that, hey, you know, when we when we opened up a hole, we didn't really hit it right. And then when the running back was in the right spot, we were missing a block. So it just it was, you know, every little tiny, all those tiny small things are were adding up for him. So that's something they got to clean up. You know, against a better opponent in a game where you're closer, where it's not a 20 point game at halftime, you got to be able to run the ball and keep the defense honest so they can't drop back into, you know, drop eight all the time. 
because then it requires so much more patience or, you know, being able to leave a spy out on Caleb Williams because they don't have to worry about you running, running the ball, you know, different things like that, that, that have to be cleaned up or that can be, um, you know, you can defend differently if the other team is not going to be willing to run the ball. And that's what USC didn't do on that. They, they didn't try to run the ball. They didn't really give it an effort. Um, in the second half, they didn't, they didn't run the ball more than twice on any single drive. And that includes, you know, some short drives. There were a couple three and outs, but that also includes a, a drive that, you know, they had nine plays on. So, you know, if you're not going to be willing to run the ball, then the other team doesn't have to defend it. And that's the big thing. You have to force them to, to keep them honest. So, hey, if it's third and five or third and three, don't go empty set. You know, don't don't completely clear out the backfield and say, okay, you just got you got a garden space. Um, or if you're going to do that, eventually call a quarterback sneak. It's not something or a quarterback draw. It's not something they've done yet uh, under Lincoln Riley. They haven't split out into empty set, five wide look, and run Caleb Williams. Now they've been hesitant to run Caleb Williams, and even Caleb Williams has been hesitant to run sometimes. Uh, Jack, you mentioned they dropped eight on that Taj Washington touchdown. There are other times where he could run on that one. He could have easily picked up the first down. He stays patient, finds a guy. Hey, that's what he wants to do. There's other times where he stayed patient. He could have run for a first down um, on, on a, the, the throw that he throws, kind of lobs it over to Marshawn Lloyd, who set, catches it out of bounds. That's when Caleb could have ran and picked up a first down. I think the next play, uh, they don't get it and they have to punt. So, there, you know, it's it's give and take there. But, you know, when does he start using his legs a little bit more? And when he does use his legs, feel free to slide, Caleb. No one's, You don't have to take on everybody, on every defender on the other team every single time. You know, if you're at the goal line, you want to run over a Stanford defender to send a message, cool. But when you're on the sideline against Arizona State, let's just step out of bounds. You know, let's, let, let's uh, be smart with our body at the same time. Well, Caleb loves to stiff arm, so I think if he's going to run the ball and he's got a chance to stiff arm, he's he's going to try. But we, we, you know, we talked about this I basically. Suppose, baby. Yeah, we talked about this basically week in, week out. They're they're trying to protect Caleb Williams' health. Last season, he didn't really start running a whole ton very very often until that Notre Dame game. They did a little bit against UCLA, like in those later games, and then the one against Utah, where you see what happens. You know, once a quarterback runs, basically any play, something could go wrong, and USC can't afford anything to go wrong with Caleb Williams. So I, I understand maybe the hesitancy to run. And hey, when you're not running and you're able to pick up those 70-yard touchdowns, I think it's okay. But at some point, you're going to be playing a good enough defense like Utah, like Notre Dame, like UCLA, where you can't just pick up 70-yard touchdowns at will. So you're going to need those first downs. They're going to be important. I think that's when they're going to need the legs of Caleb Williams. And we also talk basically every week about how this is still an offense that scores basically 50 or more points a game. So it's easy to criticize sometimes when they've got that 17-minute stretch at the end of games where they're not scoring. But this is an offense that one of the best in the country. You could argue the best in the country. And, you know, we have at different points uh, in time the last couple seasons. It's just, I think that at some point, and I know, Connor, you guys had this conversation on the Parastyle podcast this week. At some point, the offense does need to think about what it's doing to the defense, in my opinion. I, I think when you're scoring 48, you're, you're up by 34 to 14 at halftime, and then you come out in the second half and you're not running it enough or you're letting the play clock get, get the ball snapped at 20 seconds left on the play clock. You're not burning enough time. You're letting Colorado stay in it. When you know your defense is gassed, when you know your defense is struggling and has been struggling for the last couple games, I feel like Lincoln Riley, though he's talked about this and though we've talked about how you don't want to sacrifice a little bit of offense to help the defense, it's something that I think is has to be more of a discussion now with what we've seen from the defense over the last couple weeks. And maybe you're not running the ball more. Maybe you're still going no huddle, everything like that. 
but maybe snap the ball with 10 seconds on the play clock or five seconds. I think you do need to run the ball more. I think you need to think about the timing a little bit because at some point we've got to talk about this defense and what the offense can do to help because the offense is scoring plenty of enough points. It's just they're letting the defense, I think, especially on the road at high altitude, uh, out to dry in the second half sometimes. I agree with all of that. And I think Lincoln Riley did learn from that Colorado game, even though he'll never come out and say it to us. I do think in the future... That running performance was embarrassing for them, and I think they're going to get that fixed. There's too much talent there for it not to be better than what it was. I also think, too, we'll see the clock tick down a little bit. And you asked him, Jack, about that today, and he said, I didn't want to give a blanket statement. Every play is different, but you're right. When you're snapping it, when you're up by so many points with 20 seconds left consistently, what message are you sending? You're sending a message that you're not really thinking about trying to win the game. You're trying to run the perfect play. And I think sometimes with those offensive coaches – and I don't want to accuse Lincoln Riley of doing this, but sometimes you see the guys in the NFL or in college, they get buried in the play sheet, and they're the head coach, but they're also calling the offense. It's a, it's a lot to take on, on on game day, doing so much when you're so involved in the offense. So I, I think it was a learning experience for not only Lincoln Riley, but for the whole team, and I expect to see changes in the future. Look at the play count for the defense in the first half. You know, they're closing in on 50 snaps already in the first half. So if you look at that, someone has to have that charted when you're going to halftime. Like, look, coach, we're at altitude. You know, we're down a couple players in certain positions, whatever it may be, and be like, all right, maybe we gotta we gotta slow things down just a little bit. You know, you don't have to take your foot off the gas as far as your play calling, but let's slow it down. And I think it was a little bit of an overcorrection by USC because they struggled so much in that Arizona State game when the crowd noise got going, especially as the play clock was winding down and, you know, they were snapping the ball and they really struggled when they snapped the ball with less than five seconds left in the play clock. They were like, look, we're going to get the tempo going. We're going to, you know, we're not going to have that be an issue at all this week. I think it was a little bit too much of an overcorrection in that regard. Um, and I think it hurt them in the second half because, you know, when you look at it and you're 45 to 48 snaps already at halftime, someone has to say, look, we, we got to calm it down, coach. We got to, we got to try to get them off the field um, and, you know, try to keep them off the field a little bit. And the defense didn't help themselves out, obviously, by not tackling and not getting off the field on third downs and allowing Colorado to get whatever they wanted in third and six situations or shorter, basically. Um, but the offense can't help that be a cohesive team rather than two separate units. I think that's the big thing. And just like Connor mentioned, it's difficult when you're a head coach because you're thinking about, all right, what's the next play call? What's the next one? What is the defense doing? I got to be able to, you know, what's the opposing defense doing? I got to be able to draw up the right play. What's it going to be instead of, you know, if you're a set, if you have that separation, then the head coach can be, can be focused on the game management itself rather than the play management. And I think that's something that can sometimes get lost for coaches that are either the offensive or defense coordinator at the same time. They're so focused on calling the right plays and making play-by-play adjustments that they're not looking at the overarching picture. And that's something that I think Lincoln Riley just needs to get better at. Yeah, that's what I was, you know, trying to get at today during his press conference, and I asked him, and he, he did say, you know, he doesn't want to make a blanket statement. Uh, but basically, I was saying, you know, they asking him about that the fact that they struggled with the play clock on the road at Arizona State, they were 
doing a better job of handling it, but it, it felt like they just they wouldn't let themselves get down to the wire because they didn't want a rehash of last week. So I was trying to figure out whether it's a philosophy of his or just something they were doing to be cautious on the road. I think we'll learn a lot about what his philosophy is if USC is up big in the second half because the Trojans will be at the Coliseum, a place they're clearly more comfortable, a, a place where they're just simply a better team. They have yet to lose in the Coliseum under Lincoln Riley. They play better at home and they're going to have a nice crowd behind them with family weekend. So we'll see what the what the vibe is with with how low USC will let the play clock get, with how much time they will try and drag out if they are in the lead. That's something that I was interested in. But when you're talking about the effect that can have on the defense, USC's defense allowed 14 points across its first nine drives against Colorado, and then it allowed four touchdowns in the next five drives. And you, you look at some of the other contenders and what you would say are more balanced teams across the country. Georgia's defense last Saturday played only 11 drives. Texas and Michigan both only played 10 drives on defense. So you're, you're looking at, you know, if USC's defense is playing 10 or 11 drives, instead of giving up 40 plus points, they're giving up maybe 21, maybe 28. And, you know, maybe you're sacrificing one score on offense, but you still feel like if you've got one less possession on offense and you're, you're holding the opposing team to less possessions, that favors USC because they're more, more likely to score on the possessions that they have as opposed to most other offenses in the country. That just goes back to, too, so those stats make me think that USC scores too fast. And what, what do you say to that, Jack? I, I say don't. You don't have to slow down scores, but if you're up by, you know, three scores, four scores, like we have seen USC be up, you don't really have to care about scoring as much as just taking a lot of time off the clock because a long drive with maybe a field goal or a long drive without scoring can sometimes be just as or more valuable than scoring seven points in a minute and 30 seconds. Yeah, and I think that's what made the Caleb Williams interception so bad, and it's so hard to criticize Caleb Williams. He's so good, but you didn't need to take that big shot at that exact moment and he just got a little too greedy and it happens the best quarterbacks do it everyone's made those mistakes so I thought that was interesting too when he threw that interception the momentum was already with Colorado and then it was like okay here we go and I think this game against Arizona it's going to be big psychologically for the USC defense because we all remember Bryson Shaw coming out after the game and passionately defending Alex Grinch the players hear all the criticisms and even though they don't say it that that has to weigh on them at least a little bit coming off of last year especially the guys who were on that team a year ago. So I think this week, if you can go out and give a good defensive performance and you don't hear all week, why'd you miss so many tackles? What was different about the second half compared to the first half? That, I imagine, will weigh on these guys. And if they can kind of clean the slate heading into this big second half of the year, I think that'll be important. I really believe the style points that come with this USC game, and I think it's going to be a win. I would be shocked if Arizona upsets USC on the road. So I, the, the, the style points, how the team wins, I think is important this week because you have that really tough stretch at the end of the year, and if you play really well, people will say, okay, you know, I'm starting to believe again. If you play poorly and it looks like Colorado all over again, the questions, they'll continue. All right, I'm going to disagree with both of you guys. You take points whenever <laughs> yeah. you get points. Of course, of course you do. Uh, you take the shot to Mario Williams, you just get your feet under you. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that Caleb Williams got greedy. It's that he got lazy in his technique, and he even admitted that uh, on one of his podcasts or something, uh, maybe after the game. I can't remember where exactly it was, but he saw him. Mario Williams was wide open. Not just open. Not just like, hey, he's got a step on his guy. He was wide open. So it's an easy throw for Caleb Williams as long as he sets his feet and gets it out there. Instead, he tried to throw it across his body. You know, he didn't. You know, he, he got he got lazy in his mechanics rather than you know sticking with what is he worked so well for him. And he he can do that because there's so often we see him throw across his body and do all those different things. But 
you know, when you know you have time in the pocket or outside the pocket where he's cleared and, you know, he's already checked over his shoulder kind of looking, set the feet, throw it downfield, and then there's no issue there because he's going to either hit Mario Williams or throw it over him if his feet are set so that no one can intercept it. So, yes, that was a huge momentum change right there. But the, the analytics would tell you if you're the more talented team, you run as many plays as possible because your talent advantage is going to create start creating separation. The problem with that, though, is in football, there's this thing called fatigue. And in Boulder, Boulder there's this thing called uh, elevation and altitude that affects that fatigue even more. So that's the part where you know, you got to take a step back from the analytics if you're, if you're Lincoln Riley because normally you say, hey, my talent's better than the other team. The more plays, it's just going to show that. Whereas teams that are less talented, you take it over to basketball and you basically you try to run the four corners offense. You slow everything down. We don't have to score as much. We don't have to keep up and, and, and keep pace with them. We just got to score. We just got to take advantage of our opportunities. So we don't have to have as many, you know, score on every single – or we don't have to score and keep up with them every single drive if there's less drives. You know, we stop them once, then it makes it that much different. So I, I, it's a philosophy, uh, philosophy difference there. But you have to realize the situations. You have to realize the circumstances. And so, you know, if you're in the national championship and you're up by 30, if you're up by whatever Georgia was up by on TCU at halftime, you don't run, try to run, you know, go hurry up and, and keep your foot on the pedal. You, you pull it back and realize all we got to do is finish this off and we get a national championship. And similar when you're in a situation where your defense has already played a ton of snaps in the first half, you're at altitude, you know, your your defense has not been the strength of the team. That's when you got to realize, all right, that's when we got to pull the reins back a little bit. And it's not that you, you know, do you try not to score. It's that you just do it a little bit slower. You take your time a little bit more. You know what? There's this thing called a huddle. It used to be involved <laughs> in football. They don't use it very often anymore, but hey, it's not the worst idea. Just you know, go into a huddle, everyone chill out for a minute, you know, for ten seconds on the on the play clock, and then we'll get into our stuff. And hey, you can still snap it with twelve seconds on the clock or eight seconds on the clock versus eighteen or twenty-two, and you burned off ten seconds off of every single play, and that's going to add up to Colorado not getting you know or being down two scores and trying to rush down the field um, late rather than, you know, being down two scores and there being six minutes left on the clock and then having terrible clock management anyways. Just to push back on your shotgun, it was first down on the interception. <laughs> it was a little greedy on that play. He could have thrown the ball it's away. I know, but come on. It was still a pick on first down. All you needed to do was chew up the clock like you were saying. It was also so. the first play okay, of the drive. Well, it was next, the, the first first down. Yeah. Next time that they, they just don't guard a guy on the outside and he's wide open, he's just running down the field. No, it's first down. Let's just run the ball here so we yeah. can run a little clock even though he's wide open over there. It doesn't matter. And well, and I think a lot, you know, the modern offensive minds, uh, they like no huddle because you don't give the defense very much time to try and figure out what formation you're in. You can catch them off guard. But the thing about, you know, huddling, you can get in the huddle, rush to the line, and then immediately snap the ball. So it, it, you can waste a little bit of time in the huddle and then just rush out and you can still you know, avoid giving the defense very much time to look at what you're doing so there there are ways to work around it I, I think that the play clock thing we will see USC 
dwindle it down a little bit more at home. And now that they realize, hey, we did a good job handling this road environment. We didn't let the play clock kind of creep up on our ankles at all. We can play with it as an advantage. I think they were being pretty cautious against Colorado. But, you know, all of this is to say that it is hard to play defense with an offense that scores as quickly and as many points as USC does. It was hard in altitude. Don't want to make excuses for the USC defense because they have a lot of things to work on. And maybe we can start talking about those specific things. But if you look at statistically every defense that Lincoln Riley has had with not just Alex Grinch, def different defensive coordinators, whenever he's got an offense that's in the top five and they most normally are in college football, you know, the entire FBS, his defenses have struggled. I think it is hard for a defense to to play to a high level when they're on the field for you know, 35 to 40 minutes a game sometimes. Um, but also this defense has gotten worse every single game so far this season. The tackling has gotten worse. There's a lot of problems you can point to. But, you know, just that point is a caveat where everyone talks about Lincoln Riley's never had a good defense. Maybe the offenses, you know, lead to that a little bit. And I'm not saying they should change it up. I think that's up for them to decide and for everyone to have their own opinion on. But it's, it's definitely something to consider. Absolutely. And we can move over to the defense a little bit because I feel like it's 37 minutes into this show and we've talked a lot about the USC offense and it was, uh, it's been a lot of complaints, but you're right. They, I mean, 48 points is 48 points. I think defensively, I'm looking at the linebacker spot alongside Mason Cobb, whoever it is, if it's Tackett Curtis, if it's Eric Gentry, if it's Rajon Davis, I want to see more production against Arizona from the second linebacker. And then I'm looking at the other safety alongside Kalen Bullock. I, if Max Williams plays, Bryson Shaw won't be playing as much. You just need more production from those two spots. I think a lot of the momentum that we saw Colorado get in that game, you could, could uh, you could blame, excuse me, the uh, other linebacker and the the safety for for a lot of that. And I, I just think everywhere else you're, you're pretty solid. So if you can get improved play from those two spots, I think it needs to be a big game for Tackett Curtis. If he's going to continue to start, I want to see a little bit more from him. So I look at those two positions as being huge this week. Exactly right. Those are the two the two biggest weak links right now. Um, you know, the other spot that has been an issue is the defensive tackle spot beside Barry Alexander. And I thought Dejon Benton yeah. really stepped up there last week, uh, you know, and, and he provides something that's a little bit different than some of the other defensive tackles. He's not the big body that you have in Keon Bars or some of the other guys um, that you would put at the nose like Barry Alexander, but he's quicker. And because Barry Alexander is drawing so much attention, I think he kind of fits well there. So we'll see if he can continue, if he gets uh, the same amount of reps as he did last week and he continues to play pretty well. Um, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, keep an eye on Braylon Shelby. He had a, I thought he had a monster game for as little snaps as he played. Um, and, you know, I, I called a couple people out in my, my stock ups last week that really performed well this past week, Dejon Benton being one of them. Um, and uh, Taj Washington as well. So he's a guy that I'm looking at to see if he takes that big jump this week. He got he's got some of the the reps, uh, you know, rotating in as you know the second as a, a technically a third rush in behind Romello Height behind Jamil Muhammad. But he was getting some significant snaps in the fourth quarter. Um, and part of that is probably the fatigue that some of those players are having and trying to get some pass rush. But he made some nice plays, especially in the run game as well. So I, I was impressed by him. Keep an eye on him. But, yeah, it comes down to those two spots. I want to see the Eric Gentry in there. I think he's a freak. I think whenever he's on the field, and I know you know, just from my statistics, that when he's on the field, the defense is better than when any other linebacker is on the field. Now, is that just because of him? No, it's not. But when you get a bigger and bigger sample size and you're looking at it and you look at what the defense, you know, the yards per play the defense averages when he's on the field versus the other linebackers are on the field, 
the defense is just better. So I, I don't know what has to be said to say, okay, well, the production on the field during games is better. We should play that guy more versus whatever is happening in practice or whatever the coaches are seeing that have gotten them aligned on who should be in there uh, beforehand. When does your game production matter? Because they talk all the time about, oh, he's such a good practice player. They got to earn it in practice. They got to do that. Okay, when does it matter in games? I said this earlier this week on the Healing Boys podcast, but you can be in practice and be a knockdown three-point shooter. You shoot 60% practice. You get in the game and you're 20%. What are you worth? Does it matter that you are great in practice? No, it doesn't. It matters what you do in the game. As Allen Iverson once said, you talking about practice? <laughs> talking about practice? Not a game. Not a, we're talking about practice. I want to see what – show me what you do in the game and make plays. And we saw that from Mason Cobb this past week. He had a you know, great bounce-back game um, there against Colorado. Let's see if he can continue that. But looking at the numbers right here real quick, uh, when you look at yards per play when each linebacker's on the field, when Eric Gentry's on the field, the defense gives up 4.9 yards per play. When Mason Cobb's on the field, 5.6. When Tackett Curtis, 5.4. When Rajon Davis, 6.0. With uh, Shane Lee, 5.1. So every other guy is higher than Eric Gentry. Now, it's still a relatively small sample size. It's under 100 snaps for him. But he just, he makes plays all the time when I see him out there. He's, he's just a difference maker because you can't throw over the middle anymore. He, he has great instincts. He's really come along as far as knowing what to do with his assignments from the beginning of last year, becoming an inside linebacker versus the edge guy that he was at Arizona State. So I want to see more and more from him. I think he's the he's he's a talisman for him. When he's on the field, things are different. So I, I would have him out there more. I would like to see him out there. It was baffling to see him. Two drives, and again, your production in a game, two drives he was in against Colorado were back-to-back punts in the first half. One of them was even a three and out. He doesn't come back in the game on defense. So everyone asked, oh, is he hurt? And Lincoln Riley even confirmed this this week, said, no, he's, he's, he's healthy. But he was on special teams, so I was like, no, he can't be hurt if they're still running him out there on kickoff coverage and on uh, you know punt block and everything else. So uh, it was just it's baffling to me, kind of the rotation as a linebacker. I haven't figured it out. And so that spot has to be figured out. And also you know, the, the second safety spot. You know, can you – I thought Bryson Shaw actually had a pretty good first half. If you go back and separate it first half, second half, and then they started targeting. They started isolating him, and that's not a position that he should be put in if you want to be successful on defense. I thought Colorado did a really good job of deciding, all right, let's go after this guy. Let's see if we can find a way, and USC didn't kind of cover him up a little bit. So because of that, that's why he was, you know, he was. and then give credit to Shadur Sanders on the fourth down one. Uh, Bryson Shaw was all over that play, and instead he still made a great throw and a great catch by Amaria Miller in the back of the end zone. So if Max Williams is back, is he back in the starting lineup? How much does he play? Because those guys have rotated, and it's kind of been 50-50, and then when uh, as the season progresses, it's a little bit more like 65-35 with Max Williams. If he comes back and he's healthy, where's that Where's that uh, line of delineation there? Um, you know, another guy they could put in there, you know, I've seen that th- this has been shown on the P, but do you move Jalen Smith back and try someone else in Nickelback? Because Jalen Smith has been playing so good at Nickelback. I don't know if that's necessarily the case you want to do, but that's another option that you could potentially do at the safety spot um, if, you're, if you're not ready to put a guy like Zion Branch in there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. You hit on a lot there, Shotgun, and I was the one who asked Lake and Riley about Eric Gentry, kind of giving him the free runway just to say, yeah, we're managing him from a health perspective. And he didn't start his answer that way, although he kind of got there later, but he started it. I asked him, why isn't Gentry playing more pretty much? And he said, it's competition. So he said he was fully healthy, and even though they are trying to manage him a little bit because he's missed so much time, he's good to go. So I think the fact that he was only playing nine snaps, I'm with you. If he's full go, Mason Cobb is full go, those should be your two starting linebackers, and then everything else will fill itself in. I am a little bit surprised that Tackett Curtis continues to see so much run. You don't want to live and die by PFF grades, but he is by far the lowest graded defensive player on USC. Anthony Beavers is at 55, and Tackett Curtis is at 45. It's not really particularly close. He's had some nice moments, of course, but he just looks a little bit lost out there at times, and I don't blame him. He's a true freshman. He's been asked to do a lot. He didn't even really play linebacker in high school. He's more of a hybrid safety linebacker kind of thing, so... I don't know why the staff is continuing to put him in these positions when he's kind of shown you through these first five games that he might not be ready. Because if he continues to play this much against the better opponents, USC will see down the line. How does that not make you nervous as a USC fan? Well, and I thought it was interesting too. You know, they're they're managing Eric Gentry because of the time he's missed. But Mason Cobb came back against Arizona State after not playing since week one. Clearly, he and he even said it like did not look like himself, was not playing like himself, did not have a good game, had just one tackle all game. But they left him out there. He he, he rarely left the field. You had Rayshon Davis and Shane Lee basically not playing at all. But Eric Gentry isn't treated the same, so it is, it's really interesting, and you know I've understood some of the defensive line rotation. We understood the offensive line rotation early in the season. The linebacker rotation is, is the group right now, and for the majority of the season, that I would say just does not make sense, and, and that's I don't know if it's decided by the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator. Like, I'm not sure who makes these decisions. Maybe it's the position coach, so Brian Odom wants to do it a different way, but you know, it, it is really weird seeing especially the, the way that they talk about practice, but then what you're doing in a game doesn't seem to outweigh the way practice went, which to me doesn't seem like the right way to handle things, and we'll have to get a real answer before we know if that's really what's going on, but um, it is really weird to see that linebacker rotation, and I'm curious to see if, you know, the longer the season goes on, will Eric Gentry play more? Because that could be a sign that maybe it was health, but if it is competition, I, I'm on. I'm with Shotgun. When he's out there, he looks different. The defense looks different. 
And you can just look at the stats. Like they, they look like a better defense when it is Gentry and Cobb as the two as the as the combination. Tweeted it out during the game. They only had the two drives, but that like that is the best linebacker combination in my opinion. And I, I feel like we should be seeing them more as opposed to, you know, Rajon Davis late in the game against Colorado uh, or or Taka Curtis out there for the majority of the season. I think that's the most damning thing too. At the linebacker spot, you have all these options. Bryson Shaw, you don't really have many options if Max Williams can't play. Zion Branch, the staff says he's not quite ready yet. Yet, and I get it after a big injury where he missed all of last season. I'm not expecting him to be ready this soon as a young guy. So Bryson Shaw, there was kind of really no one else to play that spot. With Tacky Curtis making mistakes, Rajon Davis making a couple mistakes, you have other players who have shown that they can play at this level and are really talented. So I think that's a big second guess. And this Arizona game is important. It's the last of that easy slate to begin the year. Can you get those linebacker rotations figured out in this game? That's going to be huge. And I think part of it with with Tackett Curtis is you want to get him as many reps as possible because yeah. you know the seal or you you have the expectation of the ceiling that he of the linebacker he can become. So you want to get him as many opportunities against the softer portion of the schedule. But the interesting thing has been that he's been the starter the entire time. It's not like he's rotating in; he's getting a ton more snaps than anybody else. So that's been the part that's been a little bit surprising. Um, and you can just see at times where. The processing is just a little bit slow right now. Um, you know, you're trying to figure out where you should attack, those type of things. I mean, he's a heat-seeking missile. <laughs> but at times, he's a heat-seeking missile right into the block, and he blows up a blocker, but then the running back is running right beside him yep. and, and goes right by him. So those are the type of things where you see you see the potential there. You see what he can do, and you want to get him those reps so that he can get up to speed, get up to speed. But – when your defense is really struggling, you're on the road in a, in a crazy environment, that's the time where it's like, okay, why we're we not seeing a guy like Harry Gentry who's more experienced um, and is a little bit more of a playmaker at this point, in my opinion. So that was really baffling to me. But it was also interesting that the final two drives, it was not Tacky Curtis at all. It was Rajon Davis in there. Um, so, you know, it was, it, again, like I said, I, I just – I haven't figured out the rotations. Normally by this time, some other people are, you know, are people on the P or people on Twitter are asking, like, why is this the – and I'm like, I can explain it to you. This is why this guy comes in here. And I can't tell you what the inside linebackers this year so far. Like, it has just been so kind of hodgepodge, whether one guy plays or one guy doesn't each week. Um, and just the, the mix of the snaps is not the same. Like, I can tell you why Mason Murphy comes in and why he only played eight snaps last game. Because he comes in basically every three drives. The three drives he came in on this past game were very short drives. USC scored on two of them. They, they averaged, I think, 14 yards of play when he was in there. That's why he only played so many uh, drives. But these other positions, like the, the linebacker, like there's been no consistent rotation, consistent, um, you know, kind of pattern of where these linebackers, when they're getting in versus when they're not, all that type of stuff. So it's something I'm still monitoring. And hopefully, you know, if it if it calms down into a pattern, I can, can, uh, can point that out to you guys as we go. Yeah, my only guess for Davis playing the last couple drives is because they figured Colorado would have to pass the ball and maybe they wanted him mm-hmm. in pass coverage. The funny thing is Colorado passed the ball less on, on those drives than they did for the majority of the rest of the game. That's when they decided, hey, well, let's go heavy run with only a couple minutes left in the game. But, you know, that, that was Colorado's decision. One more thing I want to talk about defensively, you know, a piece of news that came out this week that I feel like we've got to mention. Lincoln Riley said that the team is exploring the idea of having, you know, former number one overall prospect Corey Foreman take a redshirt year. I feel like we should talk about that a bit what's your guys' take makes sense doesn't have much of a role it looks like right now and coach or Lincoln Riley talked about how 
maybe a role will develop for him later. If he didn't say if someone gets hurt, but that really would be what had to happen. So they'll they'll think about it. He also said we're considering it, and I feel like in this era of the transfer portal, if the player wants to redshirt and then transfer, it's you know it's not only the team's decision; it's also the player's decision. So we'll see. I you know I wouldn't be shocked if he redshirted and transferred after this season. That's kind of the writing on the wall. And it's a shame. Really highly rated prospect. You feel for the kids who, at least initially, haven't lived up to that hype. Yeah, he's a guy that last year, you know, played over 18 snaps a game defensively. This year, he's gotten 23 through the first five weeks. So, or, you know, five games of the season. And that's one snap in the opener, 10 against Nevada, 12 against Stanford, both of those in garbage time. So, because of the extra bodies USC has added, he's just not in the mix. So, it makes sense. He does have that red shirt year. You know, even if he – I mean, I hope that he – if he red shirts, they find a way to unlock his potential and they can keep him around and we see it next year. Just because I still feel like it's there. Um, it may not come at USC. We'll see how things play out. But, you know, maybe something clicks for him at some point this year on the scout team where he's going to be going against the first-team tackles every day in practice – Maybe that you know allows him to to be able to unlock something and figure it out, and you know they can get him right during the offseason. He comes back and he's a dude for him next year. That'd be great. It'd be a great story um, because you know it, it, you've seen those flashes, those glimpses, and he just hasn't been able to put it together consistently. And this year, with the additions of Jamil Muhammad and you know those guys that they've got on the edges that they've added, you know he has not gotten the opportunity. And because of that, with Romello uh, healthy this year as well, you know it, it makes sense with him not using his red shirt previously to go ahead and take it right now and, you know, work on scout team and see if he can continue to get better and then see what the cards uh, play out uh, in the future. Yeah, I mean, USC was looking for pass rush after last year. They couldn't really get any outside of Tui Tui Pelotu. And, you know, now we've listed like five names of guys that are like, wow, you really want them on the field right now. You know, Braylon Shelby is that guy that's down the pecking order a bit, but Shotgun feels like he can rise. But the guys he's got to go through are all having great seasons so far, where you've got Jamil Muhammad, who's been great, Solomon Bird, who's been the defensive MVP. Basically, you've got Anthony Lucas, who is still fighting for playing time that everyone thought would be playing a huge role. Everyone, you know, called him a freak in the offseason. The potential is still there for him. And Maybe it's closer than Corey Foreman because he's been playing some more snaps as of late. Romello Height has had a, a really nice last couple weeks. So those are you know five guys that we've just named there in, in the edge rusher group that are all fighting for time right now. Foreman was kind of below that list, so I think it makes sense. But I, I'm just curious as to what you guys think about this this rush group so far. You know whether it is guys like Anthony Lucas or Romello Height who didn't really start the season playing a whole ton of football, but you've got guys like Solomon Bird and Jamil Muhammad who have really stuck out. Where how do you feel like this group shakes out the rest of the year? I think that Braylon Shelby is certainly going to play a role, and Shotgun mentioned the nine snaps in the fourth quarter. That tells you all you need to know. He's playing meaningful snaps in a big Pac-12 game. He's going to continue to play. If that eats into Romello Heights' minutes or if that eats into Jamil Muhammad's minutes, I'm not exactly sure. He's going to be out there a little bit, I think, down the, the line. But first of all, just what a massive improvement that this group has made. I mean, Height was injured last year, and then the other two guys, one's a transfer, one's a true freshman. So it's pretty much a whole new group compared to what you saw a year ago. So the fact that USC was able to turn it over, I think that's really encouraging. And the defensive line, they've been awesome. A few mistakes here and there, but that's the position of strength on this defense. That's where they targeted the most in the transfer portal. I, I think you really have to be happy if you're a USC fan with the defensive line overall. Shotgun also mentioned how 
the play next to Bear Alexander, whoever that is, it hasn't been perfect, but Dejan Benton is a guy who's coming along, and, and maybe someone else starts to play a little bit better, too. I think for what this team wants to be, which is a college football playoff team, your defensive line is certainly good enough to get you there. It's the other positions on defense that you might be more concerned about. I mean, you, you mentioned all the new faces, but it's been the, the guy that's returning. Yeah. That, I mean, he might as well be a new face. Solomon Byrne looks like a different dude this year. I mean, he's been outstanding. He's been a, a man on a mission coming off the edge. Uh, nice piece in the LA Times this week about him and his family life and how, um, you know, that helped him transform himself this offseason. He's looked like a different guy. And because of that, you know, it, it has allowed the, you know, it's, it's the defensive line is working in as a unit now. Instead of the first couple games, Barry Alexander's just mauling people and you're getting some edge rushers getting some pressure, but it's not cohesive. Now it feels like it's much more cohesive. I thought the group looked pretty good. Um, you know, and I still think, you know, like I said, Dejon Bitten had a really big game there. You got to get more out of Jack Sullivan. got to get more out of Keon Bars. Those two guys are two veteran guys that I expect that, they, that you know, if they can get to their ceiling for USC, that just adds, makes the defensive line that much better, that much more dynamic. And those two guys combined – have had 51 snaps the last two games combined. So in, in two games, that's not very much for a defense alignment when Dejon Benton just played 51 himself against Colorado. So uh, you, you want to see those guys take a step forward, figure out their role, and can you find a way? You know, as you're going through and you, you notice, you know, Jamil Muhammad's got a pretty simple, like, just go attack and, you know, stuff the edge. But, you know, for, for the other guys that are trying to find their way, can we, do we see a second half you know, surge as you figured out what they want from you in this defense, what you need to do, how you play off a bear to really you know, uh, excel, uh, those type of things. That's what I'm looking forward to see if that group can kind of take off a little bit um, and, and you know, be able to make even more plays than they're doing. I mean, it's been phenomenal where you, it was definitely a question mark coming in after losing to Tui Pelotu. It's like, who, who's going to play? And now they're incorporating Tyrone Tolini a little bit in there. That dude's, what, 26, 27 years old. So, uh, you know, you got that man strength already. So getting him involved a little bit as well. And then, like you said, Braylon Shelby, uh, I think the, the the ceiling is a little bit unlimited for that kid. He, he's going to be special for USC. And I was interesting – what I thought was interesting, it was not just the snaps that he had this week, but he played 17 snaps, not too many, not necessarily more. He, he played more against Stanford, but he didn't play any defensive snaps against ASU. So I thought, oh, okay, they're trimming down the rotations. He's going to get cut out a little bit. And because Romello Height was playing really well in that game, but he gets in and makes an impact in this game, gets an early drive, does, it was a three and out, and then they said, okay, keep throwing him out there, keep throwing out there. So the one guy, the other guy they got to get going is Anthony Lucas. I mean, he's, he's been so close on probably four sacks. Hands on the quarterback, the Shadur Sanders touchdown pass on fourth down. He had a great spin move, dives at the feet of Shadur Sanders, can't get him down. So, you know, if they can get him going as well, that's just an extra uh, element. I mean, if he, they can get the same type of production they're getting from Romello Height right now in a backup role from Anthony Lucas, I mean, the, the sky's the limit for that group because of how many different guys are contributing right now. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about the offense and the defense. Let's get to some questions that the fans have. If you guys are still watching, you can leave your questions on Facebook or YouTube, and we can highlight them. We can put them on the screen, and we will answer all of them. The first one is a question that a lot of Trojan fans, I think, have had so far this week. It comes from Randall Mark on Facebook. He says, anybody know if Zachariah Branch will be playing this game, and why did he miss the Colorado game? Lincoln Riley said he's progressing well, but didn't say anything definitively. 
And as to disclosing the injury, not going to do that. So uh, TBD, that's my answer. If you listen to the Helium Boys podcast, we talked about this, and Chris uh, uh, gave what his sources told. So I'll make sure you guys go to listen to that one. So uh, jump in there and listen to that, and you can find out a little bit more information about Zachariah Branch. Yeah, but as Lincoln Riley said, it, both him and Max Williams, who missed the game, were progressing well, and we've heard that before, and it means different things. Kind of heard it <laughs> a couple weeks in a row with Jordan Addison, Mario Williams last year, and then they wouldn't play. So we won't really know until the team starts suiting up and warming up uh, on Saturday. Chris will be on the field. He's normally really good about being the first of getting those tweets out, so make sure you've got tweet notifications on on Saturday for Chris because he'll have those updates for you. Uh, Eric Corpus on YouTube says he agrees with Shotgun about wanting to run the ball if the box is lighter. However, Dietrich mentioned that they were out physical by Colorado. Is that why Caleb didn't audible to runs? I mean, it's it's a possibility. I mean, I think it's part of the reason why Lincoln Riley didn't call the run more because they were not having as much success with it. And it, it comes down to kind of that... Uh, you know, the Occam's Razor is like, do you take the ball out of Caleb Williams' hands? The best player in college football, quite possibly the best player we've seen in college football in our lifetimes? Like, that's It's so hard to do. Like, and so that's what makes it that much, even that much more difficult. You know, if you're playing a third string walk-on at, at running back, I mean, at quarterback, hey, you're going to run the ball a lot more than if you're, if you got Caleb Williams and you're taking the ball out of his hands versus, the, you know, that third string walk-on. So, uh, you know, that's the difficult part in it. And you think that, hey, Caleb can clean so much up with his ability to throw on the run, with his ability to keep plays alive, with his ability to do all those different things, that if things aren't going well, Lincoln Riley's going to be much more hesitant to call run plays um, because Caleb can eventually turn plays into run plays with his own legs if he needs to, um, if he doesn't find something down the field. So uh, I think that all kind of played into it. Even though the box was lighter, the, the run game wasn't working well. Whether it was the running backs, whether it was the offensive line, all of them kind of had played into it. But because it wasn't working well, I think Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams were probably like, ah, let's put the ball on Caleb Sands instead. And credit to Colorado's defense, too. They did their homework. Marshawn Lloyd talked about on his touchdown run the way he wanted to go. Colorado, they knew what was going to happen, and they defended it well, but they didn't prepare for the cutback that he had. So even if the box was light at times, Colorado, they knew what they were doing to defend that USC run, and I think that had a lot to do with it, too. They were well prepared. Well, and that was an excellent play by Marshawn Lloyd, but when you're, you're, you're coming against this Colorado defense, even though Marshawn Lloyd's been excellent, like who are you trusting to make that wow play that just breaks down any good defense that Colorado was able to throw out there? You're probably taking Caleb Williams. So it makes sense that they kept the ball in his hands. The same thing, you know, on the goal line at Arizona State, uh, they've done it basically Caleb's entire career, and it's worked for the most part so far on offense. So I think they will try and get to the run more, but I, I would agree that if the offensive line isn't having the best day, Lincoln Riley probably would just rather trust Caleb, rather trust his passing scheme, which I don't even think we've fully seen opened up yet. So you might see that a little bit more next week against Notre Dame. Marcus Nelson on YouTube says his opinion is that the tight end will be the key to the game against Arizona and wants to know our opinion. So Connor, we'll go to you first. The Washington tight ends had a pretty solid game. Didn't do anything crazy, but they were consistently open and made some plays, so I could see tight ends getting involved. It just seems to me like when you have the stable of wide receivers that USC does, Lake McCree does get some action, and we saw Jude Wolf catch his first ever touchdown. So the tight ends, it's not like they're not used at all in the past game, but you have so many talented receivers. It's tough to say the tight end is going to be the X factor when there are so many other great pass catchers. Could it happen? Sure, but I'm not betting on it. Yeah, key to the game is is probably uh, a little bit too much, but I think it can be a, a big factor in this game. Now, Lake McCree hasn't caught a ton of passes. 
They've been mostly, you know, the tight ends the last two years actually have been mostly red zone targets, but they tried to target Lake McCree a couple times the Arizona State game, which is ironically both ended up in sacks. They had Lake McCree wide open on a, on a wheel route down the sideline, and it was the strip sack that, that Caleb Williams was able to uh, dive on. And then another play that had him – he had beaten the safety. He was uh, deep. Caleb Williams is about to let go of the ball. He gets sacked on it. Would have poten- potentially been a touchdown to Lake McCree. So a couple times where they were trying to get the ball to Lake McCree down the field, they weren't able to do. So, um, you, you know, keep an eye on it. It's something that they wanted to attack against Arizona State for sure. So we'll, we'll see if that's something after watching that Washington tape and think, okay, let's try to get Lake McCree involved a little bit down. And then, But he's got to take advantage of his opportunities. Yeah, you can't be slipping and falling at one yard and you have a 10-yard gain, um, you know, because they used him out in the flats and different things. When they have a tight end on the field, they've actually been better than when they've gone with their four-wide look with Zachariah Branch and Mario Williams. Just, you know, in general, um, you know, and over the, the course of the season, they're, they're normal. They have two base sets, which is a four-wide receiver look, two-by-two, two, and then a, you know, a, a three-wide receiver look with a tight end. The three wide receiver look with the tight end has actually been, uh, you know, had been been a more successful um, formation for them or package uh, just in yards per play throughout the first five games of the season. I think the real key to the game is going to be how many yards can USC get after the catch? You know, we, we know that the wide receivers are so good at blocking and they've got such tremendous skills with the ball in their hands. That is extra important against a defense that really tries to keep everything in front because they're going to give you catches in front of the sticks, at the sticks. But the question is, can USC turn the five-yard catch into a 10-yard catch? You know, the 10-yard catch into a 15-yard catch or a 20-yard play. Like, that is what you're going to be looking for for USC because they're going to have those, those co- completions underneath. Washington hit basically all of those every pass that Penix completed was you know five yards 10 yards 12 yards but none of them really except one to a tight end that was kind of just left open on the left sideline none of them went past that 15 yard mark and USC is going to have a lot of those I think so the key is going to be how many yards can the receivers get with the ball in their hands because Washington's going to let them have the catch or Arizona rather is going to let them have the catch can they make the tackle you know that USC normally isn't able to make on defense and that's you know can they do that play like you know Monty Jackson trying to tackle Amarion Miller on his first catch misses that one tackle and then Miller's gone down the sideline for a big gain can USC's receivers do that I think that's a bigger key than I think the tight ends um, Relic on YouTube says it's a question for shotgun he said he looked through Alex Grinch's defensive coordinator stats in search of systemic issues but didn't see anything glaring yards per play and total snaps are about average why is he failing the eye test uh, I, I mean there's, there's different reasons the missed tackles are killing USC they killed USC last year their pursuit angles aren't great either. And that's coaching, um, and that's on the players as well. But it just it feels like too often guys are a step slow as they're getting going. You know, as they're reading stuff, they're reacting. It feels like a lot of times the linebackers are step slow. And maybe that's because Mason Cobb and Tech Curtis are the two guys being used the most, and they don't have any experience in this defense. Um, but that's the thing that kind of stands out most to me. Um, you know, there's there's been – a couple of those big busts early in the season, but that not necessarily what you saw in, in this game. It was a missed tackle creates an explosive play down the field for Amaria Miller. Amaria Miller against Jacoby Covington. It's just a really nice catch. He goes up over him. Jacoby Covington slips, um, and you know and that's a part of that's on the pass rush, but for jumping off sides, and you know it's a free play, so shooters just throwing it up. So you know th- those are player mistakes, or you know just getting beat, uh, you know a physical beat versus. They're just not in the right place. Now, there's other times that's happened, um, but it hasn't been that prevalent. You know, every once in a while, a couple times a game, you look and go, wait, why, why are they lined up like that? 
and that that then the, that's when you wonder are they processing everything correctly so they can get lined up right or is that just the system they're lining them and they're just lined up wrong based on the look that's hard to say just looking at the the film but those are kind of the things that i've noticed the most when, when watching these games is you know the the missed tackles pursuit angles and then you know just not feeling like everyone's comfortable with what they're supposed to be doing right off the bat. Shotgun, I had a question for you. Mason Cobb said along these lines, he said there are a lot of different schemes Coach Grinch puts us in. Or excuse me, I'm reading the wrong quote. Hold on, false start on me. Being able to check everything and kind of play a little offense on defense is what I like to call it from Alex Grinch. And So Mason Cobb said that this week. So are they changing the play a lot on defense, and could that have any impact on them starting plays kind of slow? Yeah, definitely, because you got to get the communication. And when you're in a hostile environment and, you know, you're looking for first, you got to find the right coach on the sideline. You got to get that sign in. Now you got to get it to the nickelback. The nickelback's got to get to the safety. You know, that whole thing, you know, it's kind of a, a game of password, a little bit, or telephone. And every <laughs> once in a while, someone's going the wrong direction and you go, did that person not get to play? And that's one of the things, too. Um, and that's why they have the wristbands because, hey, they're, they're motioning in or they're signaling in a different play based on the alignment. And some defenses do that, and some of those are dummy calls and whatnot. But, yeah, it is something that definitely could be playing into it, I, I think, because you see guys – I mean, there was one snap where there was no down linemen in this game. You know, USC normally has three down linemen or four down – or two down linemen or three down linemen based on whether the, uh, the defense – Van Solomon Bird has his hand on the ground or not. There was one where no one had it, and I think Dejon Benton was looking this way because he's looking down at his wrist and, oh, ball snap. Oh, I got to go. So, like, things like that where – and a lot of people have talked about the wristbands and whatnot, and can you simplify it to not be doing as many checks? You know, and, and, you know can you pick your spots maybe a little bit more? Those are the questions that, you know, I would have if, you know, I could have just a sit down with Alex Grinch by myself off the record or whatnot. Uh, that that would definitely be enlightening and interesting. I think we'd all end up listening to it and watching it. Uh, we've got a couple more questions. Waggy53 on YouTube says, is it possible that Riley really believes this is a good defense and doesn't recognize the deficiencies, or is he just too loyal to Grinch and can't bring himself to move on from him? Shotgun, I'll, I want to hear your answer to that before I go. <laughs> uh, I think that part of it is he's an optimist, and he sees the potential, and he goes, all right, we get Anthony Lucas going. All right, if Tackett Curtis takes that step, you know, takes that freshman to sophomore jump, that got that freshman that play a bunch can make their freshman year. You know, they get through that freshman hurdle. Okay, what can we do? All right, if we find a way to get Air Gentry on the feet, like he sees all the pieces and how much better the pieces are from last year. Um, I, I think that he, he thinks that they can be good. Um, now, Looking at it and recognizing the deficiencies, I think he sees those. He's not going to tell us about all of them, but I know he sees them. And you saw just a tiny crack of him, uh, you know, in that post-game mm -hmm. uh, uh, interview on the field right after the game saying, we got to do better. You know, because when he has time to settle himself down and go speak in front of us, he's had 10 minutes of cool down. He's been able to uh, uh, rip up the, the guys in the locker room, rah-rah, Get him going. Hey, you got to win. It's on the road. It's a tough environment. Great job. And then he can come in and sit down and answer our questions. But immediately after the game, and I thought it was telling that that's when that the timing of that quote came out. Immediately after the game, it just we just barely escaped with this. We got to do better. And I think he understands that. And he talks about that all the time. He, he's not one to say, "Oh, it's great." 
he mentions that we got to get better. We got to get better. We got to get better. But we need to actually see it. Yeah, I mean, his post game. I I tweeted that out that during the post game interview, right there on the sidelines, like, well, there were just plays that we didn't we didn't tackle at all, and I was like, that that's like you don't often see him with that kind of frustration. He doesn't talk about the defense a whole time. He kind of just not that he punts, but he he says they've got to get better, but he leaves the kind of more commentary to Alex Grinch. But yeah, he was saying, you know, you just there were these hitch plays that we just weren't tackling at all, and he said echoed that a couple times during the week. But I kind of felt like for the first time you were seeing a little bit of that frustration come out on the sideline. I think Riley obviously does recognize the deficiencies like we've talked about. I don't think he thinks it's a good defense right now, but I think he thinks he can get there. And is he too loyal to Grinch? I think you have to say yes a little bit. We'll see what happens the rest of the way. But if things keep trending the way they're trending, I think that answer is a yes. And I'm not going to change on that until I see something different. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the potential is there. We've said it all off season. We've said it during the season. Now the question is, can they make that jump? Because they're going to need to when you've got this stretch of the games coming up. Steve on YouTube says, I think you guys are still high on Cobb, but would you say that he has underdelivered based on expectations and to touch? And do you guys think he will ultimately be able to live up to expectations? I don't think he's underdelivered because he just missed a lot of time. I mean, he played that first game, wasn't all that great, but then he didn't touch the field again until Arizona State when he still wasn't fully healthy. I think this is this past week against Colorado, we saw a fully healthy and confident version of Mason Cobb. It was his best game. He was the Trojans' best defender. I think he will continue to be their best linebacker going forward throughout the year. But, uh, you know, I think it's hard to say he underdelivered on expectations because he was injured. If he had played another game like he did against Arizona State against Colorado, I think the answer would absolutely be yes. Then you'd have three games where you're kind of scratching your head. I know you were hurt, but they didn't look great. The fact that he bounced back against Colorado and played really well, I think that gives everyone a reason to think, okay, we can see this more consistently. That's the Mason Cobb that everyone expected, and I think we'll see more of him. So maybe he's a touch underachieved a little bit so far, but he's been hurt and getting used to the new system. I I think he just kind of is starting to show what he can do a little bit, and I expect him to continue to play this way. So I, I would say maybe a little bit, but I don't think so. I don't think that's fair. He's underdelivered. There, there's no doubt about it. Through five games, he's got less than 20 tackles, I think. So he's underdelivered, but we do. Th- I still think he can live up to the expectations. And one of the reasons why he's underdelivered is because he was injured. I mean, that makes it more difficult. But the first two full games he played, I mean, what, he had one tackle against ASU. I don't remember how many you know, against San Jose State, but it wasn't a ton. You know, so you go four games in the season, a third of a season, you go, this guy hasn't got 10 tackles yet. And he was basically averaging 10 tackles last year per game. So, you know, that's definitely under delivery. But we saw much more what we anticipated seeing against Colorado. Now can you build off of it? Can you build off of it? Can you show that again and do it without four missed tackles? I mean, that's the big thing. 13 tackles, great. Can you do it without the four missed tackles and continue to be a bully in the middle of the defense? That's what USC needs. I do think, too, the way the schedule is set up, the second half is worth double. So the first half, (laughs) he's yeah, I mean, you're right, Shotgun, but if he plays – averages 10 tackles the second half of the season everyone will be saying okay what a what a great pickup you're right got to improve on the missed tackles but the second half that's what's most important the fact that he's healthy now that bodes well so shotgun unless you've you know written down questions for a rapid fire round that's all i've got so then we can move on to some score predictions but unless you've written any down uh there's a couple here that came in a little bit late walker wants to know what's up with special teams still seems pretty raggedy kickoff coverage has been pretty bad the last couple weeks uh they especially with that game against Arizona State. Zachariah Branch was getting popped at the 15-yard line. Same thing with Makai Lemon this past week. That's one area I think they need to get better in. Um, Dennis Lynch obviously misses the kick. I think the punting's been better. 
But yeah, the kickoff coverage is something that they were really good. Obviously, the first couple games they helped Zachariah Branch get to, uh, you know a couple return touchdowns. These last couple games, it's, it's not been very good. It was encouraging that Christian Pierce recovered the onside kick against Arizona State. I think if you lose that, that's sort of the the line of demarcation. Like, okay, the special teams is terrible, or okay, they're you know they're okay. I, I think they've made some mistakes the last couple or the Colorado game specifically, but nothing that I'm like, okay, that's a that can't happen again. A, a few. Length and lengthy isn't even the right word. A few returns, maybe a little longer than they should have been. And Makai Lemon's the backup, so you, you can't really complain too much about him returning kicks. So, the, the and then the missed field goal, yeah. But I don't know. I I, I think when they've needed to be good, that it's, it's been good enough so far. And we'll see. Special teams certainly wasn't good enough last year, and I mean it hasn't been great. So there still are some questions, and I think they need to be answered down the down the stretch here. Yeah, they've had some flash plays, but they haven't had a consistency of being excellent. Um, which you don't really necessarily need when you have the offense that they have. It just is a bonus when they do. Uh, so you just want to eliminate the the bad plays. You want to eliminate the, you know, you don't want to have the Mario Williams one-yard line type of thing or the fair catches inside the 10-yard line, those type of things, shank punts. If you can just eliminate the bad ones, you don't have to be spectacular on, on special teams when you have an offense as electric as it is. And probably it's even better for Caleb Williams' stats if you don't return it as well. You know, let's just help him out get 10 more yards each drive. Uh, Ethan Anderson want to know, if USC dominates against Arizona, do y'all think the media perceive them better than Washington like they're trying to do for Oregon after USC's performance against Colorado? I think, yeah. Sure. I th- I mean, you know, they didn't Washington played Arizona, didn't look great. If USC kills Arizona, I think that gives them a little bit of uh, transitive property points in the, in the media nationally. And you've dropped the last 2 weeks in the AP poll. You need a big win to kind of get people back on board. So I think that does change the narrative a little bit. I don't think it's the Arizona win. I think they'd have to be Notre Dame in order to pass Washington. I mean, unless Washington loses, but the fact that Arizona, you know, Washington's got that narrative around, you know, everyone's saying, well, it's tough to go play on the road in the desert, a conference game, you know, the stuff that we we said about USC that, you know, wasn't as around the national media when it came to USC but also you know you're getting Arizona at home and it just kind of depends on the way they blow them out you know blowing a team out 35 to 7 is a lot different than blowing a team out 55 to you know 30 because you're still allowing 30 points to an Arizona team so you know they've blown teams out but still not played well defensively I think you're going to need to see a good defensive performance before the national media cares at all about a USC win which I mean understandably so I think it's absolutely correct. It would be transit properties. Just similar. It would be very similar to the Oregon-Colorado thing because it would be USC at home. Oregon was at home against Colorado. Washington on the road at Arizona. So if USC wins 42-6, to which would be the same score that uh, Oregon did uh, over Colorado, then yes, I think that you would see that, kind of the delineation of uh, the rankings there. Uh, two more, I think it was. Um, uh, Ronan wanted to know, why isn't Anthony Lucas playing more snaps? I thought he was going to have an outstanding season. I thought he would be making a couple more plays, and I think that's the reason why he hasn't had more snaps because the guy in front of him, Solomon Bird, is making a ton of snap. I mean, a ton of plays. So if you don't make the plays as a backup and the starter is making why are we going to give you more snaps? And now he did get – his snap count has risen each of the last two games from the Stanford game. He only played 15 in that game. He played 22 against ASU, 30 against Colorado, talking about defensive snaps. So I think that's part of the reason. Someone want to know what the whack is – and it's the Western Athletic Conference, which at one time spanned from Seattle to Chicago down to UT Rio Grande Valley, which is basically Mexico, all the way to Bakersfield. It made no sense, but now everybody's doing it. So there were the four forefront uh, <laughs> of the conference realignment. 
at one point. But I'm representing the Utah Valley Wolverines here. So um, give a shout out to the, the Utah Valley Wolverines. That's awesome. I think with Anthony Lucas, too, he's younger than people think. Just as a true sophomore, like it's it's hard sometimes in the trenches to make plays when you're so young. And I know he was really a highly rated recruit. It's his second team, so he has been in college for over a year now. I'm not trying to make an excuse for the guy, but it's not like he's a Jamil Muhammad, someone who's Jack Sullivan who, who isn't playing that well. So that's probably a bad example. But just someone who's been around for a long time and is older. I think he's still getting his sea legs under him a little bit. Yeah, but I think you look at the way that Sean Nua has been developing everyone on that line, and, and you know, just all, all, the way that the Russians have been playing, uh, whether it was Tuli last year or all the guys this year you look at a line next year where you've got Bear Alexander coming back you've got Anthony Lucas there on the edge with Braylon Shelby who knows maybe Corey Foreman returns and you know lives up to what shotgun is expecting maybe you're getting back one of these other guys on the edge like like a Romello height like you're gonna have a you know and you have Sam Green there you've got new recruits coming in it could be another good group next year I think that they they definitely are, are looking at Anthony Lucas like you're gonna have a big future here and the question is if he can get in and make those plays he will get more snaps I agree. All right, let's get to some score predictions. Um, you know, we, we pick the spread every week. That'll be on the website. But here on Thursday shows, we give a score prediction as well as the MVP. Uh, Shotgun, why don't you go first? You give your score prediction. You can have first pick on MVP because you're new to the Thursday shows, uh, you know, since the early game of the season. Um, no Caleb Williams is the only rule. Um, I'm going to take Caleb Williams then. No, no since Caleb Williams is the only so rule. So I'm going to take Caleb Williams then. You do not get Caleb Williams. <laughs> score prediction first, then MVP. Come on. I just want to see if uh, Caleb Williams they try to go for the uh, for the touchdown record. You know, a bunch of guys got six now. Can they get him seven? Arizona could be a good team to go against. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but uh, my score prediction is I've I've waffled on this a lot. It's going to be somewhere. It's going to be forty-eight to somewhere between twenty-four to thirty-one. I'm going to say twenty-eight on this show. So that means they don't cover the spread. Earlier this week, I said it was going to be 24. They would cover the spread. I don't know. It's going to be somewhere in there, it feels like. Um, and then my MVP, ah, this is a tough one. I'm gonna, I don't know yet. I'm, you guys can go first. I'm going to go with something <laughs> off the wall. i got to figure out what I want to go with. I give him the first pick, and he doesn't want it. Uh, you know, Connor, why don't, why don't you go next, and you can just have the first pick. Okay. I've been having a really tough time with my score prediction, too, because – how Arizona plays, like USC should blow them out. It's a, it's a young quarterback. They do have some talent on offense, and they're better defensively than they were a year ago. But you're playing at USC. The defense isn't great. I, I think they're okay to good. You need to be great to really slow down USC, especially when you're playing on the road. And how they want to play on offense, these long drives. To beat USC, you got to score fast. So I don't think long drives, taking – Big time of possession, that's a, an effective way to, to go out and try to pull off an upset or even keep the game necessarily that close. So I've been kind of going back and forth, too. I think 45 is my number, so that gets you 42 with all the touchdowns on a field goal. And then I guess 21, so that would have them covering the spread. You give up three touchdowns to Arizona. I think that's what I'm going to say. But I've been going back and forth, too, because the defense, they've not really impressed me like they haven't impressed anyone the last couple weeks. I wouldn't be surprised if they allowed more points. As for the MVP... It's really tough to pick against Brendan Rice right now. He's been doing really, really well. How about Dorian Singer and his revenge game? I'll go with him, though. I think uh, he hasn't really had a breakout game yet. He's playing against Arizona. Jed Fish said it's personal about some of the transfers or all of the transfers who went from Arizona to USC this week. So maybe that lights a fire under him. Give me Dorian Singer. There you go. Uh, I'm going to go and... 
I, I, I kind of just don't, I don't think I could trust him to cover the spread. I picked him the last two weeks, gave him the benefit of the doubt because they were blowing teams out early on. I just feel like, you know, this is going to be the season where they're never going to win as big as you want them to. And last season they didn't, and they still ended up, uh, you know, a, a game away, maybe an injury away from the college football playoff. I think if USC makes the playoff, it's going to be another one of those seasons where I don't think they'll ever fully figure it out. They'll find ways to win. I definitely think USC is going to win this game, but I think Arizona is going to cover that three touchdown spread. I was leaning between somewhere between 42 and 35, and then I was trying to figure out where to put Arizona. You guys have talked me down a little bit on how many points I thought Arizona was going to put up. I'm going to stick with 42 to 24. I was originally in that 45-31 range. But I think you're right. You know, the young quarterback, Noah Fafita, didn't really push the ball downfield very much, which you're going to need to do against USC. This is going to be a big game where we see if USC can really tackle on the perimeter because Fafita's going to get the ball out quick. He's going to try and just make completions, get it in the hands of, you know, Cowing and T-Mac and let them make plays. USC will need to tackle. But I think they're going to allow some big plays because that's what they do. Um, I think Arizona is going to do their best to limit the big play, but I still think Lincoln Riley will be able to scheme ways to score. So maybe they're not getting in the 50s or the 49 range. So 42-24, I think Arizona covers. But maybe it's one where USC's up by 21 and Arizona scores that late touchdown to get to 24. I just don't know if this defense can really finish right now. And their mantra is the, the longer it goes, the better we get. That hasn't been the case. Uh, it wasn't the case last week. It was the case at Arizona State. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of right in the middle. But last two weeks, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. I, I think I'm going to give Arizona the benefit of the doubt that they'll find a way to score against this USC defense. Yeah, burned too many times, huh, Jack? Yeah. <laughs> last, two, last two weeks, USC is on the road. They're playing at home. They've been fantastic at home against uh, during Lincoln Riley's tenure. So I'm actually going to take the offensive line as my MVP of the game because if they play <laughs> the shell defense, they play off coverage and force everything short, the offensive line should be able to run the ball and should have a big day, and they should be able to protect Caleb Williams better than getting him blindsided by a cornerback, even though that might have been on Austin Jones as well. Uh, the protection's got to be a little bit better there. But I'm going to take the offensive line and you know just maul some people. Be mad after last week. You guys sucked last week. Come out and say, hey, we sucked. Now we're going to come out and take it out on somebody else. And so that's what I want to see. I want to see the offensive line do that. And then uh, a little secondary note, I want Jalen Smith on the defensive side if I'm taking a defensive one. Uh, i got a pick six coming. I knew you were going to pick the offensive line as soon as you said you were going off the wall. I don't like it because that's not one player. that you, I said most valuable player. It's not most valuable group of five or six hey, players. I'm making the most of my appearance here, Jack. I never gave mine, I realized. I'm going Taj Washington because I said yards after the catch is probably the most important part of this game. He is the best USC receiver with yards after the catch. Maybe outside of Zachariah Branch, but I think that consistently Taj Washington is a guy that he'll catch the ball and then he'll he'll get five or ten more yards than you think he should be able to. And sometimes he just has that great vision and he's able to bust it deep for a touchdown. So he could take one of those you know, 10-yard catches, 12-yard catches that the Washington wide receivers were having last week and turn it into a big gain where, you know, Arizona is trying not to allow the big play, but I think Taj Washington could be able to do that with, you know, the ball in his hands on some of those uh, shorter receptions. And it really looks like Brennan Rice is that guy that Caleb Williams goes to for touchdowns. He's open in the end zone. But Taj Washington, it seems like he's the guy that, you know, early in drives and also, you know, when it comes to some third downs, Caleb is looking his way. And, you know, it worked most of the time against Air, uh, against Colorado, had that one against Arizona State as well. Um, didn't work on that one that bounced out of his hands late in the game in Colorado. But Caleb is often looking his way. I think he's more likely to get open underneath than Brendan Rice. So I'm going to go with Taj Washington. Yeah, strong pick. You can't really go wrong with 
any of the wide receivers right now the way that this offense is going. So I hear you. I feel like Brendan Rice, because no one picked him, will come out and have like three touchdowns. So we'll see. Yeah, I put out a tweet earlier this week. Brendan Rice has seven touchdowns through five games, which is only the third time a Trojan wide receiver has done that. I, I want to say since 2000, it was um, – Oh, I'm blanking on who it was. Uh, 2005, Dwayne Jarrett, and 2012, Marquise Lee. Lee won the Blitnikoff, and both of those guys were first-team All-Americans. So and he's who got knows? nine in the last last six games too, because yeah. the two in the two-lane game. So he's been he's been on fire, and he's got a great connection going with Caleb Williams. You'd like to see that same connection being built with Dorian Singer. It felt like they've been a little bit off. You saw last week the opportunity for the touchdown catch. You know, getting behind the defense and wasn't able to you know connect there. Can those two guys get locked up? Because then I think Dorian Singer can make this offense even better. Is that possible? I mean, they're averaging 53.6 points per game. So, uh, But there will be some tougher defenses coming up, so you want to see that connection get locked into. Did you hear my prediction, Shotgun? It's going to happen. He's going to be the MVP. Although with uh, I liked it. With Connor's <laughs> betting history, I wouldn't be happy to be oh, Dorian Singer a, right now. <laughs> I, I lead I lead the uh, USC team, the USCfootball.com team, in the against the spread picks right now, Jack. How dare you say that? Yeah. You know what would be tough? It would be tough being you know uh, at Georgia or Michigan on the two four seven beat if they're doing that. I think Georgia so far this season is oh four and one against the spread, and Michigan has only covered one spread all year. So you're looking at you know the, the top two teams in the nation. They're probably giving the teams the benefit of the doubt every week, and they're getting hosed. So it's it's. Probably betting worse betting out there. is hard. Betting is hard. Betting is hard. Do you guys have anything else to talk about before we wrap this one up? I want to see USC with a statement win against Arizona because I've had a lot of questions the last few weeks. I think the fans have had a lot of questions after a brilliant start outside of that San Jose State game. When USC played dog food opponents, they dominated. It's time to have a good game against a better team. We'll be looking forward to seeing the rotations once again, seeing, uh, especially on the defense side, what's going on at linebacker, what they do at the second safety spot, and also at cornerback. Keep an eye on that one. You know, with Demaya Jackson banged up and with Christian Roll Wallace taking all the snaps, being a starter for the first time last week, how does that shake out? Does Sierra Wright get back in the mix or not? Well, that's all we've got for you guys today. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know there was an entertaining Thursday night football game on. Maybe Caleb Williams isn't going to the Bears. They just scored 40 points with DJ Moore having 230 receiving yards and yeah. three touchdowns. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe Caleb's looking like, well, now I want to be in Chicago. But anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in. 7.30 p.m. Uh, kickoff here in Los Angeles in the Coliseum against Arizona. It'll be another late night for us, but we'll be back on Sunday night, 7 p.m. again to break down a USC win or a USC loss. And we'll see this time whether Trojan fans are excited excited about the way they win or not. But anyways, for Connor Morissette and Shotgun Spratling, I'm Jack Smith. Thank you guys for watching Tunnel Vision.